Hello, everyone, and we are now counting down to Orbit Repeat 2021, the most exciting orbit repetition of the year, when one year turns from the next to the last. I mean, reverse that. The last year turns into the current or future year. And when you say it's the most exciting orbit repetition of the year, that might sound confusing to some people, but keep in mind that there's actually many different types of orbit it feels like the sun's orbiting us once a day, even though it's not, it's just us spinning. Then there's the orbit of us with the moon, which happens once a month. So there are many orbit repeats throughout the year, one a day, one a month, but the most exciting orbit repeat every year is that new year. The time when the number on the calendar changes and you have a new chance at a year. And just to clear up any confusions that might still persist, there's a 2012 study showing one in four Americans believe that the sun rotates around the Earth. Easy mistake, but in reality, in the universe, we live on an oblong spheroid that's a spherical rock that's slightly egg-shaped. And our moon, which is sort of like our little sibling planet, you know, bigger than a normal moon, we rotate around each other about once a month. Us little duo, Terra and the moon, we're going on an oblong circular shape around the sun at the same time. According to the best theories we have since the Big Bang, the sun has itself been moving away from the point of the universe where, as far as we can tell, everything began. So what that creates is a nested set of orbits around each other that form sort of a double helix pattern multiple times across time and space. You know, you're rotating around the sun, which is moving away from the Big Bang, and then the moon is rotating around you. It's this beautiful big orbit repetition cycle is the structure of the universe at the highest level. Interesting historical fact. Humans have been celebrating orbit repeats even before they knew anything about the other planets or the stars or gravity or all the things that you need to know to know all the things that we just said. Before people knew those things, they still celebrated orbit repeats because you can tell from the Earth that some kind of cycle is happening. You know, in the northern or southern hemisphere, there's a shifting between summer to autumn to winter to spring to summer or near to the equator. It's more like a half of the year rainy season, half of the year dry season kind of deal. Wherever you are on the planet, the orbit repeat of going around the sun is something that you can notice in weather patterns, in the stars, by watching the stars. Those cycles have been something we think about and exist within forever. Yeah, and a cool little thing about, you mentioned the distinction between the different seasons near the equator and, and near the poles. And the reason for that, the reason for winters and stuff is the tilt of the earth, either tilting toward or away from the sun. Just another fascinating detail when you're building this little mental model of all these rocks hurtling at unimaginable speeds around each other across unimaginable distances, caught in each other's invisible spider webs gravity. It's the spider web of the, the world of forces. Stupid metaphor. Sorry, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is going to be an orbit repeat. We did an orbit repeat at the end of 2014 when we first started podcasting, and we want to uphold that tradition now at the end of what has been you know, considered a challenging year. Yeah, back in 2014, we looked forward to 2015 with optimism, and we thought, can we do that again six years later, after 2020? Can we look forward to 2021? with optimism and and we're here to find out we actually don't know if it's possible it's a mystery to us so. and before we get on with the show i just want to take a special moment to thank everyone who participates in our patreon discord community our book club people who donate to the show listen to it 
make it happen. Really, really appreciate the support, whether that's through kind words, donations, whatever. You make the show happen. And I'm wishing the best 2021 to you and yours, straight from the bottom of my heart. Welcome to the show. Papa, Papa, is 2020 going to end soon? I'm tired of all the horrible things happening. Oh, boy. I haven't been able to see my friends. Can't even see Grandma at Christmas. Businesses going out of business in the neighborhood. All your favorite small businesses. My favorite small businesses. Yeah, it has been quite a year. Well, to answer your question directly, yes, 2020 is just about over. Oh, thank God. But to complicate that a little bit for no, you. No, 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 Dad. Just answer the question directly. Boy. Don't give me the context to understand what the answer means. Now, boy, you know we love nuance in this house. So please allow me to complicate this. Well, maybe you like nuance. <laughs> 2021, the beginning of 2021, the thing that's coming right now, isn't going to be very different from the end of 2020, the thing that's ending right now. You know, all the same problems are still going to exist. The pandemic is going to be at the same point that it was the day before and the day after. Vaccine distribution is going to be at basically the same point. Just because the day on the calendar flips doesn't mean everything's immediately better. 2020, for example, it started in a very different place than where it ended up. At the beginning of 2020, there was no pandemic. David Graeber was still alive. Michael Brooks was still alive. We lost a lot of great people this year. I know you were devastated, but that happened during the year, boy. It didn't happen on the first day. Dad, I want everything to change on January 1st. Fully different year, okay? I mean, people, when they think back on 2021, they'll have different things to think back on. But the thing is, boy, on the first day of 2021, none of those things have happened yet. So 2021, is it really even 2021 yet? If all the things that we're going to remember 2021 for are still to come? The way we think about years in the past versus the changeover of years and the exact dates that they change over and the idea that that's meaningful, boy, it's just, it's all arbitrary. Years are gradients that run into one another in one big long line of change, you know? Papa, you know I hate gradients. I know, boy. I prefer things in static, black and white. Binary choices, yeah. Day and night. Good and bad. Summer and winter. 2020 and 2021. Just different clear. But consider that people in other cultures around the world and other times in history have marked the changing of the years on different days. Like there's Chinese New Year, there's a Korean New Year, there's an Iranian New Year. It's called No Ruse. The Jewish religion has its own New Year. Rosh Hashanah, Islamic people have their but own wait, New Papa, Year. But wait, Papa, which of those is the real New Year? Well, you can't it, have a New Year every month and a half. I mean... That doesn't correspond with the orbit of the Earth around the it's sun. It's all arbitrary. There is no real New Year. Like, if you're talking legally legally the new year is january 1st legally to uh, but even for tax purpose there's a different tax new year it's like a fiscal new year for heck's sake boy it's just it's all arbitrary well papa so you're saying that there's no guarantee that 2021 is going to be qualitatively different from 2020 in the ways that are important to me 
there is a guarantee that it's going to be qualitatively different in a lot of ways, but many of those ways might be surprising. And, you know, I think a lot of the ways that are important to you, it probably will be different because there's some good minor trajectories going on in Stuff Boy. But what I'm just saying is to expect the unexpected. It's going to be a mixture of good things and bad things next year. It's not just going to be good. It's not just going to be bad. It's going to be all kinds of different things. And we'll figure out how to interpret it through the lens of history later. Loud and clear, Papa. It's going to be bad. I'm going to my room. No, boy, that's not what I said. Remember what we learned about active listening? What did I say? It's going to be both good and bad. You don't have to agree, but I want to hear that you know what I said. That that makes no sense. It's like saying it's going to be day and night. It's going to be both black and white. Boy, we both know those examples are qualitatively different. <sighs> okay, bye. Going to bed. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about it later. Have a good sleep. Maybe I'll have both a good and bad sleep. <laughs> oh, I can tell you about so many nights like that that I've had personally. But Shut up, Dad. Not hey, right now. You get to bed, little scam. You made that up. It's time for Explaining 2020 to the Future. And we'll be your hosts, Sean and Aaron, (laughs) in the year 2020. So we actually remember pretty well. Yeah, we're recording this on the ground in the year 2020. It's happening right now. If I look at the bottom corner of my screen, at this very moment, it says 2020 in the date section. So we know what it's like. We have an eagle-eye view. And we're right here at the end of 2020. We can look back and see what defined this year. I mean, an interesting thing to note is that while there was some talk in the news about faraway coronavirus in the early months of 2020, it was really only a couple months in something really shocking happened, which is a lot of places started changing the way that society operated because of an ongoing pandemic. I mean, this will come as no surprise to people who are still with us here in 2020 or 2021, but in the future, the actual experience of it happening It's hard to describe. It's a fascinating thing to live through. And we understand there's been pandemics in the past, for example, 1918, a far deadlier pandemic than this one. But here in 2020, it's been a really tough year for a lot of people. My experience of pandemics before this, like growing up and stuff, there was the swine flu pandemic. I feel like there was one other one that I kind of noticed. But they always seemed kind of minor, very far away. And importantly, for my sense of normalcy, there was never any real collective effort made to regulate that people do things like wear masks or not leave their homes and stuff like that. Like if you had asked me at the beginning of 2020, even as talk of coronavirus was ramping up, I would have said those things are impossible or extremely, extremely unlikely. Even though masks and things have been normal parts of people's lives around the world for a long time, and people wore masks in 1918, like my bias of my lifetime living in North America, it just never, never would have thought. Yeah, the experience of going six or eight or nine months, depending on people's immune systems or their living arrangements and stuff, without seeing a significant amount of other people you know in person, face to face, or if you do, you know, you're wearing masks, you're not seeing the subtle movements of facial communication. Everything in society this year was abridged by this virus. I believe there's like 1.6 million deaths attributed to COVID-19 at this time. And it's expected to continue. We're told that over the course of the next year, 
as the vaccines are starting to be distributed now, that you know summer restrictions will be able to be lifted and we'll be able to return to normalcy by the end of 2021. That's what we're being told at this time by experts. Yeah. So if the predictions hold true, then by the end of 2021, we'll be back to you know most of the restrictions lifted. That's the goal. It's like a two-year process that we're kind of at the peak of right now because the vaccines are starting to be handed out, but it's also like the highest numbers most places have ever experienced. Not everywhere, but most places. So if you're listening from the future, you know, the type of psychological toll this has taken on people, it's taken a variety of forms. You know, people have these limited bubbles of people that they see for safety reasons. You know, there's recommendations coming from different levels, from different types of authorities. But right here in where we are in British Columbia, we've had pretty strict restrictions, including Christmas being canceled. But another aspect of this, I feel like we've seen happen sort of in real time is this reality forking, this extreme and in some ways like negligent conspiracy culture, where it's surprising in a way that people are mandated to wear masks. Like what Aaron said, it's not something that we would have predicted before, but it's also massively surprising. I mean, it shouldn't be surprising, but it's really surprising to me how much debate over the science of viruses and the level of distrust towards institution turning into like these very, very bizarre conspiracy theories like Anthony Fauci created coronavirus in China. You know, like these weird... There's people who think the virus was created for nefarious reasons. There's people who think that the virus is a sort of fake construct, that the tests are fake and they're fudging all the numbers and like just making it look like something's happening when nothing's really happening. It's just the normal amount of flu. It's different flavors of the same thing, though, which is that what's happening isn't actually really happening. And I feel like this reality forking is happening the worst in the States. Like I see some of it happening in Canada with like some family members and things being more or less on the COVID denial spectrum, I guess I'll say, and like how seriously they take it and like all that kind of stuff. But the real bifurcation of this thing and like battles about masks and like, it seems so much more intense in the United States because it's latched onto this pre-existing hyper-polarization that's been happening there for the last five years with Donald Trump in the presidency and Donald Trump's like his whole alternate reality tunnel that he's been cultivating for the last five years, dovetailing with the election fraud claims that he's making and the people who are doing the work to build that conspiracy and it gets tied to the COVID thing. Those two things combined has just created this entirely different universe that some people are living in. Basically, like this partisanized conspiracy theory in service of the powerful has been weaponized in new ways over the last year. Like someone I know who I considered a friend and hung out with over the years, like they went down the rabbit hole in a really weird way where they're now posting stuff on Instagram about like that Antifa started forest fires, that when there's forest fires, it's not evidence that there could be climate change or something like that. Yeah, I think there was one tweet and it was combined with a few news reports that some people had started fires on purpose. And then people were like, this one tweet that says they're Antifa says they're going to start fires 
so that people can't ignore global warming anymore. And then that tweet screenshot gets sent around. I think Joe Rogan mentioned it like credulously and then apologized for it later. And it's just like, now that idea is out there, that that's one of the things Antifa does. It's a really out there theory that Antifa would start forest fires, that anti-fascist organizers who (laughs) organize against platforming fascist thinkers and stuff like that because they believe that you know fascism is a political existential threat to other human beings you can debate their tactics but to accuse them of bizarre and senseless tactics that have nothing to do with anything any of them have ever said built up on the epistemological uncertainties of conspiracy culture it's it's a it's creepy you can just share with people like no that literally came from one tweet and some unrelated news reports about someone starting fires. Nobody had any reason to ever think it was Antifa, but because of this extreme bifurcation, like I don't trust the mainstream media. I don't care that Snopes said it was wrong. I don't care. It's like, there's no way to convince someone who's in a completely different reality tunnel that one piece of it is wrong just because it's obviously wrong. Having the bully pulpit of the presidency and institutions is certainly something that helps boost these norms against evidence. And one shouldn't care about the sort of fidelity of their ideas or whether or not the thing they're retweeting is actually true, but whether or not it serves their team, taken to an extreme institutional form. I don't want to be too black pill here, but the other part of the equation is like, on one hand, you have a very ruthless, cut everything to bits, deregulate, push the limits of electoral law, push the boundaries of decency for the pursuit of power politics on one hand in the United States. And then on the other hand, you have like such a terminally incompetent group of 74-year-olds that it's a legitimate question whether they even care or want to win. (laughs) And many of them have legitimate financial benefits to not winning sometimes on a personal level. So the political situation in the United States being so dysfunctional and broken sort of echoes across the entire planet. And if the United States had better pandemic response earlier and had more consistent messaging, you wouldn't be able to have the extreme divergence in public opinion. For me, that is the narrative of 2020. Like That's what I see happening that I'm concerned about. Speaking with various people on the other side of this, people who I shared values with in other ways, like multiple people I've been engaged in conversations about this stuff with, the thing about it disheartening me, there's a lot of real concerns and issues that are being sidelined because of this dualistic discourse and like problems that a lot of these people see I'm feeling like the target is being missed for them on like what the actual issue is. If like we're talking about lockdowns and like the debilitating mental health effects that lockdowns have had for a lot of people. There's been a lot of suicides this year. There's just been a lot of loneliness and pain for a lot of people. And this is something that the anti-lockdown people are really tapped into in their own weird way, but it's like Because of the way the discourse got bifurcated, it's really hard to talk about that in a productive way. And it's hard to talk about how we could have done a lockdown better and gotten the pandemic under control in ways where we could have... There are examples of places around the world that didn't have to cancel Christmas because they responded to the pandemic differently. 
places where people weren't as put out financially by lockdowns. Instead of talking about how to support people through the pandemic in the best way possible, we're dealing with all this fear and concerns about the negative effects of lockdowns get drowned out or recuperated by this other side that's arguing for the wrong things. That's only one of the major issues of the year that I feel like has not been done justice by this discourse, but there's other ones as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from the start, and this comes to a big issue, and I think this is a place where we can start building across the divide, is it's true that institutions let us down fundamentally, and it's true they misled us intentionally early on. For example, exaggerating about how quick it was going to be helps soothe like the market to keep stocks going up and stuff like that or having it open make is good to the market in some abstract way it makes stocks go up so there's all these like weird breaks with reality that institutions are making on coronavirus for reasons that they can't say out loud to the public and it necessitates lying to us and i think that should be criticized full-throatedly for every government is that People shouldn't be misled about what's going on in order to protect business or even to protect the most sacred of businesses, the small ones. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. For a small business person who's making their livelihood through running a business and stuff, all the power to them in a way. But if you're running a small business that's like you walk by some of these places and you look inside, it's just it's like a single small unventilated room and there's no mask mandate and there's people who believe that the entire thing is fictional. The presumption that I need to go inside that room to somehow support them and keep their livelihood going, it's like you can go online and buy stuff delivered to your house and it feels a lot safer than visiting your local small business in their unventilated room. If we were honest about the fact that this is going to be one year, maybe two years, which anyone who I trusted on this subject when I was looking around was saying this is going to be basically two years from the start. It's not too much of a stretch to imagine navigating a pandemic response that allows economies to still function in a way that doesn't crash small businesses and empower the biggest businesses and allows, and I've, this is the real treat, you could allow people to have larger social bubbles that are like better controlled because if the emphasis is put on the social side instead of the marketplace side, you can make the balance socially focused instead of market focused. And at the same time, you can still find ways to safely distribute products through businesses and generate profits for the small business people and so on. But like while doing things that are actually going to reduce transmission, like not letting people eat in the same restaurants with no masks physically, like it doesn't need to exist that way. There's other ways that you can manage it. And again, there's places that did the lockdowns better and then are able to open up restaurants again. Like it's a meme now, like, oh, they're having pool parties in Wuhan. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Australia, they did these massive intense lockdowns twice. And like they opened again just before Christmas this year. During a two year cycle, it doesn't have to be locked down the whole time, but it does have to be actually doing the lockdown right. And I think there's like new vistas of like figuring out how to do that properly that are available to us. And again, yeah, it's just, it's part of the conversation that's like stunted by, I'm trying not to sound too dismissive, but just like things that don't seem to match what the scientists are telling us reality is, which is that like viruses exist and we can read their DNA and people all around the world have 
read the DNA of this virus and it's a real virus and it exists. It's not like a construct. You know, we have no specific evidence that Bill Gates made it on purpose to, you know, like that side of things. Like <laughs> it is worse than the flu. You either sound dismissive or you sound like you're giving it credence, you know? It's such a big and varied group. You know, some of them would be like, it's absurd. I obviously don't think that Bill Gates himself made it. That's a bridge too far for me. But then, like, there are guys there that are like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, Bill Gates himself. He actually came down to the lab, looked at it and stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, I think we'll use this to depopulate. Yeah, there's like people who are COVID skeptics who don't believe the Trump campaign stuff that he like actually won. Yeah, there's people all across the spectrum of these bifurcations. And they can't mediate their differences either. You know, if there was <laughs> yeah. a vanguardist overthrow of the government by people who believe that 5G is related to coronavirus, they would have the most incompetent and bizarre organization ever. That there's no, how would they mediate their differences? It's like a conceptually distorted discourse in a way where the process of democracy, which is, you know, reasoning with one another, deliberating and coming to shared understanding. We have institutions setting us up to fail because they want to turn us into grift targets. Yeah. So it hasn't been a good year. Well, I guess we should say also, I mean, if we're trying to sum up the whole year here, there's another side to 2020. You know, there's lots of people who had lots of horrible experiences of various kinds. And I feel like if I say someone had a good experience of 2020, it's taking something away from explaining all the different ways that people had it bad. Like, for example, having like your COVID pay taken away as the pandemic starts to get worse because people are just sort of like tired of it. You know, like coronavirus is now the worst it's ever been. But I feel like people care about it the least now since the beginning of it. But like there's workers on the front lines who have to deal with that. People who actually work in these restaurants, these small businesses who need wages to live their lives and they're being potentially exposed is horrible. But I just want to say when we're talking about the fullness and the wholeness of 2020, there's also a lot of opportunities for reflection and contemplation. People who are in close bubbles, maybe they're put in situations they wouldn't otherwise be in, but they're given opportunities to bond with each other in different ways. There's maybe people who were able to work less this year as a result of it and benefit somehow in some limited way to feel like a freer person in a way, even though they're in lockdown. There's lots of variances within the rich fabric of this year. And I'd say that we could overall say that it's been a tough year, but I wanted to give voice to that too, since this is a time capsule. Yeah. I mean, even in a bad year, good things still happen. And some people probably had better than average years, maybe even just because they had really bad years <laughs> in previous years. And this one was an improvement despite it all, or maybe, you know, something really great happened to them this year. Who knows? All kinds of things. We started making a cartoon show this year, which is really cool. We released our social ecology trilogy this year, which was like our biggest podcast project ever. Super proud of it. Good things happened this year for us. Uh, I had some really bad shit happen this year. Someone died that I cared about. It was really hard. Mixed bag. But <laughs> overall, if I had to choose one word between good or bad, I would choose bad. Yeah, I could think of a few on a personal level, things that were good, like little individual moments. Like, for example, restrictions of social distancing meant that I've reconnected with some friends of mine who play video games like over mic. So like it's a space where I can sort of like hang out with people. And as a result, I've reconnected with people I might not otherwise have been as close to. I think that's a pretty positive aspect of this year. Um, and it's helped keep me like feeling social while distanced. 
some of the best things in my year were also the worst. Like I met some extended family of mine earlier this year and it's great being reconnected with your family in a way and like people that you have direct familial connections with but at the same time meeting them you know they're quite sick so it's it was also sort of meeting more than just a person <laughs> it was meeting like age and mortality and illness and things like that in a very visceral way that was both good and bad and papa and boy i mean so proud of it but then also the bad of it is sort of hoping to do it faster like the good of it is we learned that it takes a really long time to animate <laughs> and and that's okay and you don't <laughs> you don't have to break yourself trying to animate more than any animator does we also learned that we weren't going to bang out all five apps in five recording days that it actually took us weeks and weeks <laughs> to <laughs> shape the episodes and yeah you've been diligently animating away all by yourself and but it's going to be great when it comes out. But that's going to be in 2021 and not 2020. It is sort of part of the bigger pattern that like, it feels like we only got half a year this year, you know? With everything being so weird, it's like 2020 is a bridge. It's like 2020 is part one and 2021 is part two. So I'm just going to assume that if you were forced to either thumbs up or thumbs down the year, you'd give it a thumbs down. Like all things considered in totality, all people across the world and yourself and everything, thumbs down. So... Given that it's been kind of a bad year, dualistically, can we look forward with optimism that quite like we've just spent a lot of time talking about how bad it is? Is it possible to be optimistic? Yeah, absolutely. Optimism isn't and shouldn't be rooted in reality denial. Rooting our optimism <laughs> in reality denial is a sort of like false, hollow optimism, a dangerous unsupported optimism. A real optimism, a real nice top-tier optimism, it needs to be sort of built on the base of what is both good and bad. It's been put pessimism of the intellect, optimism of the will. Optimism is a tool that we have to shape the world, shape our lives, and shape the people's lives around us for the better. It shouldn't be a sort of Pollyanna up is down, new Simpsons are just as good as the old Simpsons kind of thing. It's got to be real. If you want to be optimistic about the future of the Simpsons, you need to assume that it's possible for the Simpsons to recognize that it's been awful for 20 seasons and it was only good for 10. And that's a big problem for everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point about optimism made through the lens of the Simpsons and accepting reality, that optimism for the Simpsons future hinges on the recognition of pessimism of the Simpsons reality. I love that. So I guess, yes, we can. We can be optimistic answering that question. I mean, and we have to in the right way, in the right context, for the right reasons. And that is to try to build a society that works better. So that ends our time capsule segment. Thank you so much for listening to our little 2020 time capsule and back to the show, which was also recorded in 2020 and is a lot like what you've been hearing. Whew. 2020 was a poorly lit time, a sort of, I don't know, bad year. Yeah, thumbs down. I wouldn't want anyone to see me giving a thumbs up to the year and to be like, why did Aaron give it a thumbs up? That's some weird contrarian shit. <laughs> but that's looking back. Now, we're on the precipice of 2021. We're in the space between 2020 and 2021. It's a micro 
little space where you're not at either there's a clean break and you've just you're making the jump from one to the other and that's where we are and now we're getting to the other side we're turning away from looking back we're turning towards physically turning our bodies towards the horizon in front of us rather than the one behind us seeing the sunrise of 2021 begin we're hearing birds wow it's like 2021 is this beautiful meadow clearing this wonderful you know there's clean fresh water wild animals so tame you can pet them such a beautiful horizon is opening with this light pouring out from the sun across sun-kissed valleys beauteous time yeah as the rays of sunlight spread across the meadow the pandemic which so far has been a trajectory towards the peak very soon becoming a trajectory away from the peak back down again towards the end of the pandemic. That's so beautiful. What the vision of this meadow is making clear to me. Wow, thanks, mRNA vaccine. In 2021, I pledge that I'm not going to debate too much about you, other than to assert that your science is real. And I'm instead going to debate the way that authorities distribute you, because that's the real woke shit. Oh, wow. I'm seeing that the experience of 2020, even though it was a negative time, a flat note, could be part of something bigger and more vibrant and beautiful in 2021 as people learn from their experiences in 2020 and moving forward, try to rebuild society to better address things like pandemics and inequality. You know, I can see in 2021, people are going to start meeting up together and hugging again and spending time with their family and person and really appreciating it for what it is, which is something sacred and, and joyful that shouldn't be taken for granted. Yeah. And I think what's in the air in this meadow, the dew-kissed, warm morning air of this meadow, crisp and fresh, is this experience of deprivation that has characterized 2020. It's going to give us a new awareness of what deprivation actually means. I think there's a very real possibility that the historical reality of this example is going to give us the perspective that we need to understand what the problems are with society and where the breaking points are and why they're there and how they're connected in ways that weren't as clear beforehand. We've seen how capitalism, you know, with all the billionaires and Elon Musk's with their techno-optimism and like we've seen how the system handles a crisis like this. We've seen how the atomization and hyper-isolation of capitalism becomes amplified in these crisis situations. We've seen how capital-oriented but anti-human and anti-ecological policy takes precedent in crises like this. There's a beautiful chance here in 2021 to write the narrative of how we respond to 2020. Yeah, the coronavirus crisis and ensuing political and economic impact could be seen as having the lights turned on in a way and have the world come into an urgent, disgusting focus. The lights are turned on and the room is just filthy. It's dangerous. We don't wash our hands enough. We're killing grandma. Our neighbors live on different planets because people are manipulating them. There's a lot of serious, stark contrast brought to light looking at the world through the lens of 2020. And that's going to help us look at the lens of 2021. And like, unless you can recognize there's a mess, you can't clean it. 
unless you can see the systemic issues, you can't address them. And I think it is going to be sort of the terrain that people argue over over the next six years. You know, one of the reference points that people are using to say what they think is true and it's proven this year. Yeah, I think there's going to be increased awareness of the debilitating mental health effects of loneliness and isolation. I think there's going to be increased awareness of what kind of work is actually essential and what isn't. And that awareness of essential workers and how they're essential is a really important consciousness raising moment and category. Because I think if essential workers work together there's a lot they could do to change things because they're in an essential place in society, you might say. Yeah, I mean, if workers know that they're essential, that could be the first step of asserting what that means in terms of societal terms. Yeah. Something I'm really optimistic about is that I think people are going to be very forgiving about falling out of contact in the years leading up to the pandemic, and people will be able to use the pandemic as an excuse to hang out. Oh, I haven't seen you since the pandemic. The iron will be hot for socializing with people, probably by the end of 2021, here's hoping. But whenever that occurs, I think there's a great opportunity for people to abuse that loophole to hang out with people that they've lost touch with. As you start getting older, you're like, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so since, damn, 10 years. And then you're like, shit, 10 years. Well, how do you break the ice? And then you have to come up with some reason. You're like, oh, I found this old photo of us, ha ha ha. But this pandemic is just like across the board. Once this is over, everyone can be like, oh, you know, after pandemic, we can hug each other. Let's meet up. You can just pretend that you were always hanging out the whole time and that you weren't drifting apart or anything. (laughs) (laughs) People often do. And I think just more generally, there is a chance that the feeling of this New Year's, we can think of it as the dividing line down the middle of the pandemic season hopefully more than halfway through and not significantly less than halfway through. But it's a point where people can set their resolutions for what they want to do with the second half of their social isolation pandemic time to be ready for the world as it returns. And I think it's a beautiful once in a lifetime opportunity to make this New Year's count, even though New Year's is arbitrary and obviously people often don't keep their resolutions and so on. There's tons of things floating around to say don't even bother. But I, you know, this is a special New Year's. And I can see that here on the precipice, looking forward to this beautiful meadow, hearing the birds and so on. The optimism of 2021 has infected me. And and if optimism was a flu, well, I'm going to have to go on the ventilator because I'm so optimistic. Uh, Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I couldn't appreciate that particular metaphor for optimism more. Uh, Just spot on. Great. I love this meadow. Thanks for taking me here, 2020. I I like that. It's like, you know, we turn around, we look back at 2020 and we're like, know what, 2020, we didn't exactly get along, but you did you, man. And I think I might be better off for it in a weird way. Yeah. You fuck off, you piece of shit. Get out of here. I don't want to see you again or anything like you. I want everything like you to leave 2021 as soon as possible. No hard feelings, though. What is is forgiveness is useful (laughs) if you can get there, honestly, inside yourself. Is there going to be the climax moment like a couple years from now where like something from 2020 that didn't seem important comes back and saves the day? And you're like, oh, 2020, it's like 2024 and like humanity's doomed. And then all of a sudden it's like the flu virus kills the aliens and you're like, 
Oh, 2020, you... <laughs> it was about the friends we made along the way. God damn it, 2020, you are a mysterious bag of tricks and you just keep on opening years and years later. Well, in the next Orbit Repeat, we'll check in on that prediction. <laughs> I know you weren't making a prediction, but it is now. Welcome to Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater. New year, new me, everyone. 2021 isn't going to be like 2020. It's going to be different. This is the year I'm finally going to start really taking care of myself, and it starts with learning to cook delicious, nutritious, vegetarian food that's well-balanced and based on nutritional research I've done myself. I'm so excited to stop eating all that processed fast food, those sodas, all that sort of stuff. I'm going to be nourishing myself with stew and oats, all that good stuff. I can't wait. A perfect year. I'm going to pull it off. Day one starts tomorrow. Thanks for your support, everyone. This is important to me. Not to be a Debbie Downer here, but while I agree with your goal, I disagree with the method. New Year's resolutions set people up for disappointment because now you have all these expectations that you're going to do all this wonderful stuff, cooking all the time, you're never going to eat fast food, and as soon as you do it once, you're going to feel like a failure because you failed at your New Year's resolution, and then you're going to go back to the way you were before. I'm predicting it now. This will definitely happen to you, and it's because New Year's resolutions themselves are wrong. And before anyone argues with me on this, just remember you're only arguing because you know I'm right. I think that you have come to my page to try to further discourse and thought, and for that I thank you for your insights, although I have to respectfully disagree. Maybe it is the case that on January 21st I have failed my goal, making poor choices in my diet, but in that universe maybe you too are doing the things that you should not do, and you were the coward who didn't try. And I feel like in that scenario, you're the one who's contemptible, not me. I'm just doing my thing, trying to improve myself. Something that more people should set out to do. Although I take kindly the point that achievement determines the size of the plan. And it might be beneficial for me to ensure that I have set criteria for violating my own guidelines. One can't improve themselves perfectly in every way immediately. These things take time. And within that, there are going to be setbacks. But the goal, the resolution, should continue to guide me for all 12 months, even if I fail. And I think that's where the mistake is made. I think you're on the right track, but when you talk about creating guidelines and stuff, I understand the desire to make it specific, make it a day, make it a mark to hit, but I think that's still a reflection of the problem because if you have these specific points that mean failure and that you're expecting yourself to meet those points, if you don't meet them, you're going to feel like a failure. Even if you give yourself ways out or like a certain amount of failures, okay, what if you go above that certain amount of failure? If you you just intend to move in a direction and you have hope that you can continue along the trajectory despite failures and not expectations about specific outcomes that you need to hit otherwise you fail. Assume that you're always going to be improving on yourself. 
maybe the place that we can agree here is that the resolution itself is not the source of change. It's just a road marker on a human life trajectory. If you're undergoing a process of continual change, a once a year check-in to set trajectory for the next year is very consistent with a trajectory of continual change. It's more consistent than never setting resolutions at all. And I think some of these questions are fundamental questions of human behavior. And I think sometimes the elephant in the room when it comes to unmet New Year's resolutions is issues of addiction and issues of social isolation. There's a lot of pieces to this puzzle that I think are better served by embracing the tradition of New Year's resolutions for good to sort of ride that social wave to help sort of hypnotize yourself into better decisions um, and be part of something culturally, to not be isolated, but to choose to be part of cultural traditions that you think have value, which this one does in celebrating the orbit repetition around the sun. To me, that's sort of where I'm coming at from this, but I can respectfully disagree. And I think if I can just eat a few more high quality, nutritious meals this year, tackle my addiction to my smartphone, tackle my addiction to unaddictive food, tackle my addiction to cigarettes or whatever, the addiction element here is real, I think, in New Year's resolutions. If I can just do a little better on any of this, I think we're going to be better off. And that's what I'm setting out to do here with this post. So thank you. It's amazing to me that we can agree on so much, but still disagree on the most fundamental issue, which is whether we should support or decry New Year's resolutions. Because I agree with so much of what you just said, but I think that for most people, they try to use New Year's resolutions as a carrot, but then they end up turning them into a stick to beat themselves with, and it ends up being more demoralizing than pro-moralizing. And I think rather than trying to set ourselves up the right carrots or tweak those dials exactly the right way, we need to transcend the carrot and stick duality entirely. But that's a whole nother conversation trying to explain that. And really, my main point here is I support you eating better, but fuck New Year's resolutions. I guess my main point here is this is my page. You're just antagonizing me. It's odd, but it was a pleasure to hear the many insights that you carry with you. And I appreciate you taking the time to share that with me on my personal post about some personal goals I'm setting for myself. So thank you very much. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater. Now, New Year's is a social convention and construct. It's sort of arbitrary, but it's connected to the orbit of the Earth around the sun. And part of that arbitrary tradition related to the orbit around the sun is the tradition of reflection. We did an Orbit Repeat spectacular episode like this in 2014 for Orbit Repeat 2015, which sort of serves as a little time capsule and as an inspiration for this episode six years ago. But since part of the narrative of New Year's is reflecting on the last year to try to steer the next year in a better, more preferable direction, we thought that we could go back to that 2015 episode, reflect about our development politically over this time here going into 2021. We just both re-listened to it the other day. We cracked open that time capsule. It's been behind the Patreon wall for a few years now because it's one of our old early episodes. There'll be a link in the description on Patreon if you want to go check it out. My main memory of this is that we repeatedly make the claim that 2015 will be the best year ever. It's the theme of the episode, no nuance. The nuance is in how funny it is that we're asserting this thing that obviously deserves nuance. We sort of weaved a optimistic narrative of a world getting better and better through our intervention in it and with reasons to celebrate. It was sort of based on this theory and thought following Occupy 
you know, we on the grassroots left, we take a lot of L's fighting institutions because they're much more powerful than us. And often people's interests outweigh their ethics and stuff. So we thought, why not try to make New Year's a time where you can sort of celebrate the good things that have happened? This is sort of like part of the thought that led to that happening in 2014. I think there's a thing that happens on the left where it's hard to celebrate the wins because they're always like too little, too late and critique worthy and the critiques are important and need to be centered and celebrating can almost seem like rude or something, but it's a really interesting time capsule. It's better than I thought it would be. There's a lot of sparks of things in there that are still in the show now that I think we do better now. One thing that really ages it, apart from like the editing being slightly worse and stuff, us having a much less developed political vocabulary, we actually say a lot of the same things that we always say, just with less fancy words. <laughs> like there's sort of a proto-library socialism in it too, just mentioned briefly. It was less cringy than I was expecting it to be. There's always that stuff with sort of creative stuff that you've done like a couple of years ago. You're making these little decisions you wouldn't make now, and especially around politics, there's a lot of like things within politics that are cringe to subcultures for various reasons and stuff like that. So like listening back to old stuff, you're always worried, you know, that you turn to the camera and you're like, well, all lives do matter, actually, because you're like learning politics for the first time on a mic. But as I get older, I find that like a lot of the things I used to be embarrassed about stuff I made when I was younger, it's like, well, who cares? I mean, it's six years ago. It's like, I assume I was some sort of baby then. Two things I said that really pinged me was that I referred to the Liberal Party in Canada as our main left-wing party and that they're basically like the Democrats. And I was like, I just would not describe that that way now because I've become more purist about what counts as left-wing, but... It's just such a like a small thing that I was like, ooh, outgroup. Who who said that? They're not on my team. That's not how I think about things. Uh, and then the other thing was that in like the LGBT rights have been going great section, I was like, hey, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, is out. Isn't that amazing? What a world we live in. <laughs> Which is a fine point. Like it's better that CEOs can be openly gay than not. But now I would have the impulse to like qualify that with a whole bunch of things that it doesn't mean about (laughs) what gay rights still has yet to achieve or other LGBT rights still have yet to achieve or how there shouldn't be CEOs at all is something that I probably would throw in there now just to mention. Yeah. And like, I think a lot of this stuff I more or less got back then. I just didn't really like care to mention all the time. But like the things that pinged me the same way as like, we talk about social progress in terms of like LGBT, racial justice, gender justice and stuff progressing, that there's a positive trajectory on these things that we can see. And what pings me now is like that we don't give a lot of time to talk about the trajectories that seem to be stalled, which should be complementary with those, like, you know, the distribution of political power in society, distribution of economic power and so on. The way we've only seen progress in many ways on these cultural issues at the detriment of Americans not having healthcare and stuff like that. That not being mentioned is one thing. The other thing is the way that we talked about technology six years ago. We talk pretty uncritically positive about technology. We talk about this Kickstarter. Yeah, we're like, hoverboards are coming based on a Kickstarter. (laughs) You know, there's a little bit of irony to it. We always kept the irony on it. But there's sort of this almost legitimately reverential tone towards someone like Elon Musk that we were sort of playing for laughs in a way that just rubs me the wrong way now. Because obviously technology itself 
isn't the issue or the answer, but it's who uses the technology for what reason and to whom. Over the years, I feel like I've learned the importance of not just that you're supposed to say it, but that it's actually like really important to emphasize that like technological progress has liberatory aspects in a way, but what matters about technology is the power structures of society in which it's used. So we give passing mention to Elon Musk and stuff like that in ways that we're sort of feeding this false idea of technological progress that I think we didn't mean to at the time, but we saw as more innocuous than it was. But it's not innocuous, actually. We're making some interesting points about how the Hyperloop, Elon's proposed Hyperloop, was like a tube that was going to bore its way through borders across the world and end borders and stuff. And <laughs> while I do believe that tubes are necessary to make holes in borders and ultimately erode them across the world, the holding up of Elon is head tube man in some way, and that Hyperloop is the way to do it. I think at the time I just viewed as like, oh, I don't care if it's Hyperloop or some other thing. I just care about getting these tubes and Hyperloop is the one people know about. So I'll just call it that. But it really kind of yeah gives this vibe that there's this great tube man who's going to make tubes for all of us and not that we the people need to demand tubes. He saved tubes. us with his visionary tube. Yeah, exactly. It's like building these tubes is a community project. You know, I think we were caught sort of in a moment of tube mania there because obviously tubes are one of the most revolutionary forms. When you want to address climate change, you want to address social need, you need sorting and you need tubes. We've covered this in detail in our Ecotopia trilogy. We weren't sorting out which tubes and how to talk about tubes properly yet at that time. Too much tube focus, not enough sorting. That's a classic mistake, but you got to forgive yourself for those type of things. And I feel like that's that's the big reflective note that I've got from listening to this is I was just ready to drive myself crazy hating tiny mistakes I made when I was a much younger person. But my takeaway from listening to it was like, we should give that sort of generosity to ourselves. We shouldn't be like too critical of mistakes that we made in the past. And what we're willing to forgive in ourselves, we should be willing to forgive in others. My takeaway was that this one's okay, but all the other ones are still potentially debilitatingly horrible pieces of cringe history that I deserve to be <laughs> punished for ever producing. Potentially, I don't know, I'd have to listen to them all. Maybe they're all fine too, but just this one experience only reassured me about the one. So it's just a difference. But we made a lot of predictions in that episode. I thought maybe we'll just do a quick run through of some of these predictions we made and whether we were right or wrong. Here at the top of the list, we predicted that Israel was going to introduce the what we dubbed the Wiwasowi Doctrine, which would be reversing the sort of like settler colonial occupation of the West Bank and, and so on. And that turned out to be incorrect. Yeah, that it would be accompanied by a full apology from them for all wrongs they'd done, that actually everybody in the entire Middle East would apologize to each other for anything wrong they'd ever done throughout history. Yeah, Israel would kick it off, but then everyone would join it. But one tiny part of that prediction that did turn out to be true was that we also predicted that bombing would increase in 2015. So that part was true, but that was not a good part of the prediction. Yeah, another one that we got right here is we predicted that cannabis was going to be legalized in more places and it's part of a trajectory of more drugs being legal in general, which we described as sort of part of the trajectory towards freedom within our society, increasing human freedom. 
And I think that's basically proven to be true over the last six years, although I wish it would have went faster. I think we are seeing really promising challenges to the drug war and the order that it was predicated on. I feel like I've seen real progress in that over the last six years to the point where I no longer feel the need to like aggressively talk about it all the time. Not only is cannabis legal in Canada and a whole bunch of states in the states, some states are even experimenting with decriminalizing more drugs, but also, and perhaps more crucially, I feel like there's way more cultural understanding about the horrors of the drug war, how it affects society and how it affects different groups in society differently, and some of the history of the drug war and how it came to be and who it targeted and all that. So I just feel like on the drug war issue, as you're saying, society's come a long way. So that prediction was 100% right. You also wisely predicted, Aaron, that the sea levels would continue to rise. And according to my research about the last six years, they actually have continued to rise at about a rate of 4.4 millimeters per year. I predicted that? I must have missed that part in the episode. Oh yeah, you dropped that nugget of wisdom. I jotted that down when I was listening. I was (laughs) like, you gotta hand it to Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I gotta say, I was on point with that one. So uh, one prediction we made that was wrong was that people would stop using brand names to refer to specific types of products so that like no one would call all tissues Kleenex or... 2020 was the harshest repudiation of that. It was the year of talking about Zoom and Amazon like you were being paid by them. And we can bleep that out. (sighs) Yeah. So, you know, we were wrong on that one, but we maintain it would be good if people stopped doing that. And we reserve the right to predict it for the future. We also predicted that we would see the end of rent itself because people need places to live for free. And that, uh, I mean, happened in sort of an abridged temporary sense in some places in 2020, but not nearly to the degree. Because it should have, earlier in the pandemic, I wrote this essay for Ricochet about what it would mean to cancel rent day. Basically, you forgive everyone's rents and then give the landlord some amount of money to pay for it since they're not actually doing work. And stuff like that sort of happened in a couple places, but over Overall, the systems favored by governments were massively punitive towards the little guy, handed out money towards landlords, and like the only way that tenants could get money is if they promised it was going to the landlord and it went directly to them and stuff. like weird shit like that yeah so i'd say that's a failed guess overall bad prediction one prediction that we disagreed on was bitcoin prices i said they were going to go up i don't know if you said they'd go down but you wouldn't predict they would go up i focus mostly on my critique of the ideology of bitcoin and the theory of it which i mostly stand to but it is embarrassing to notice that i told people to not buy bitcoin back when it was 450 dollars and it's now twenty-seven thousand dollars. it's on wax if you're a patron you can listen to it i told people to not buy Bitcoin when if they did buy Bitcoin and not listen to me and then waited for me to confess that it had went up, they would have made $26,600. But we all make mistakes. And I mean, yeah, egg on my face. I think I was a bit optimistic about what Bitcoin would do, especially I was saying that it was going to revolutionize economies in Africa potentially, which I don't think has really come to pass, though there has been more uptake of cryptocurrencies in various African countries for a lot of the reasons I was pointing out that the online infrastructure was going to make it more accessible to people in some of those countries than certain types of more traditional banking. And so I was kind of right about that. What else? What else? We predicted guaranteed basic income would become much more popular as a talking point. Uh, We were right about that, though we started talking about it less. 
as it became more popular. As you do, try to keep ahead of the curve. <laughs> we realized some of the critiques made sense, but also would still support it in general. Uh, and we said politicians would use their Twitter more, their personal Twitter. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of weird prophetic thing. It's late 2014. It's before Trump is on the scene at all. And there's this little aside at the end of the episode where basically we're saying that we hope and we predict that politicians are going to start using their own Twitters instead of having staff do it. And that we hope that Twitter plays a big part in like the 2016 election. And it's like that sort of like the monkey paw curls moment of the episode. It's a cool, fun thing about these time capsule things too. And it's like, I'm really aware of this recording. This one now is like, if you record yourself talking for an hour, talking about the future, you're guaranteed to be weirdly prophetic at least once. Yeah, I wonder which part of this episode will be weirdly prophetic. Definitely the highfalutin predictions that we're saving for the end. Well, I intend the prophecy to be there anyways. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see definitely. how it goes. This Twitter thing was at the end of the other one. So if it holds the same <laughs> form. I don't see any reason it shouldn't hold. So. <laughs> so that was our predictions. Some right, some wrong. It would seem like based on our predictions that we're probably not psychics. Yeah, we're at least not perfect psychics. I, you know, I don't want to say you have to be perfect to be a psychic. Even psychics get things wrong sometimes. <laughs> if you place them in a rigorous testing environment, even the best psychics often or always get things wrong so it's okay even fictional psychics with real psychic powers in their psychic universes sometimes get things wrong it's complicated seeing the future try writing about it it's introduces weird contradictions so yeah you have to get things wrong sometimes thank maybe you maybe it's a type of psychic where you can only be psychic if you don't know that you're trying to be psychic type thing i don't know thank you thank you bye Now it's time for predictions for 2021 and beyond, courtesy of Wrong Boys Incorporated. This one's on the house. Next prediction will cost you. <laughs> These predictions will serve as the basis for deciding whether we are psychic six years from now when we check in again. Then you can choose to hire our psychic services if you like, up to you. So my first prediction, it's a big one. I'm going to go big or go home, and I'm choosing to go big for my first prediction, which is that what's happening right now over the next year, five years, is the final battle with fascism, that all the internet optimists were correct when they said the internet was gonna create a global conversation that leads towards the best outcomes. But what they didn't understand was that in order to lead towards those best outcomes, it had to first expose the dark underbelly of hateful ideologies that existed to allow those people to connect and form a political force for us to see the reality of. One thing about us in 2014 is like, I didn't understand how real fascism still was because it was so much more hidden. And in some ways that's a great thing. But now that the extent of the rod is clear for all to see, I think we can finally start developing the political, interpersonal and technological tools to defeat this thing once and for all. That's my prediction. I think we're in the final battle against fascism. I'm not saying which way it's going to go, but I'm just saying this is the final battle. I predict that billionaires, people are going to send them episodes of Seriously Wrong. They're going to listen. They're going to be like, oh, wow, this actually makes some good points. And despite their position in society as a billionaire, by the goodness of their tender hearts, they're going to come to the right decision. You know, they're going to be like, I'm going to start doing what's right. I'm going to start working for radical political change. 
redistributive change. I'm going to cap my own personal fortune and start putting all my excess wealth into a variety of democratic mutual aid initiatives because of listening to episodes that are going to be coming out over the next year or listening to the back catalog, that sort of thing. So that's my prediction for billionaires in 2021. It's not a full utopia, but I think it'll be a good start. And I want to thank all of the good billionaires in advance for making the right choice. I knew that the Pollyannas weren't all wrong on this. Now, see, that's one prediction where we disagree. I think they're not going to do that. They might do something good, but it won't be that good. See, yeah, and I disagree with you on the first one. I was being polite, but I think the battle against fascism will be eternal. Oh, yeah, no, good good to get that out there on the record in the time capsule for next time. So nobody's like, oh, Sean was wrong along with Aaron. You know, if it turns out that I'm happy to have you. Yeah, then I have to argue. Oh, no, I was thinking it, but I was just being polite. And it's like, we've known each other long enough. Let's put that behind us. We can be honest. We have an honest disagreement. Here's one prediction that we are both making together in unison. We talked about this one before. We both agree. It's that Bill Gates is going to have a freak accident, which causes him to have to live as a hunter-gatherer for the next five years. He's going to have to survive in the wild, and he will be found in 2026. Or, like... We, that could be off by a couple of years in either direction. We're unsure if he'll even be found. He may not survive, but it'll be about four to six years. That's where you start getting into some of the disagreements we have and the uncertainties therein. But something else we're also quite confident in and as a shared prediction is that we think that Star Wars 7, 8, and 9, as made by Disney, are going to be removed from the canon because they are so bad it is unbelievable. And George Lucas is going to get to do his version of 7, 8, and 9 the final take on the Skywalker trilogy from the man himself. We think it's time for the microbiotic world of the Wills to come to life as Lucas has always dreamed. We want details of these midichlorians and how they operate with Lucas's careful eye to detail and measured craft. And if it's not done in time, then we would request that Disney make digital simulacra of all of the original actors and create a digital simulacra of George Lucas, and not just physically, but also in the mind, to eventually make the 7, 8, and 9 that he would have made if we run out of time and it doesn't actually end up happening. We've got a petition to this effect in the description. Please sign and share. And also, just in general, I think all of our favorite stars are going to be preserved forever in CGI, in AI versions that are available. So I think that what this will mean in the future is that all your favorite TV shows, for example, will have infinite episodes written and performed by AI. So like if you want 800 seasons of The Simpsons in the style of the first eight seasons written by AI, that'll be available. If you want a million albums by Nirvana, that'll be available and they'll sound just as good. That's my prediction anyway. Just a few quick predictions here before we wrap up. People will stop talking about corporations' brand names when they mean to talk about products. For example, they'll say facial tissue instead of clinics. Bernie Sanders will be named Secretary of Defense. Big tech companies will be overthrown by democratic alternatives so we can all have a say in how to tend the garden of our own online spaces and create a democratic society. There will be new developments in babies that cause them to get even cuter and more innocent, which was thought impossible until late 2021. And we predict that every orphan will get a parent, and in fact, four orphans will find parents as a result of us saying this. And finally, libraries are going to continue their quiet expansion into all forms of property, you know, subtly adding more different things 
things to their collections. Oh, I can get a canoe at this library. Oh, how interesting, how novel. More and more things will be incorporated into the library system. More different kinds of libraries will emerge. Library rights will become a political battlefield where neoliberal austerity types are attempting to privatize these massive libraries and convert them into sharing economy capitalist enterprises. But the people will fight back in favor of the commons, in favor of libraries, against businessmen and their cronies. We're going to win, but the libraries need our help. And what winning looks like is that by 2034, we will be returning our poop to the food library to grow more food with again. It's so beautiful. It makes me, makes me need to wipe a tear from my eye. Yeah. There we go. Goodbye, tear. It's wonderful. You know what they say, heretofore, all existing history has been the history of library struggle. Well, I mean, at least they will usually say that all the time, six years from now. Definitely. Looking forward to it. Well, those are our predictions. Let history judge us, I guess. Man, my third eye is just drained. I need a spa day for my third eye at this point. So much of the... What's the name of that chemical? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, DMT. DMT. Yeah. My DMT's gone. From your pineal gland, it's drained out. Yeah, I get it. We squeezed those glands. <laughs> Just milked all the Let's DMT. see if I can out. get one more prediction. Ugh. I'm just going to try to push a little more out of my pineal. <laughs> it hurts, but... Uh. Oh my God, it will be revealed that neoliberalism is an alien plot to bring Earth into an intergalactic order on the capitalist side, turn Earth into a planet with Dutch elm disease that's forced into a consumer relationship with an intergalactic Amazon, which takes advantage of... That's all I've got. I'm sorry. I don't know if that's true or not. We'll never know the end of the prediction either, what it's taking advantage of, but that's what you get trying to squeeze one prediction out. Yeah. If that turns out to be wrong, I don't want to be blamed for that. I didn't. That was right. It's only other ones I'll take full credit for. Well, I think that is just about it for this episode. I don't want to say it is it because there's still a little bit more to come, but it's just about it. And as always, the rotation really stops after the second theme song when we have that sort of culminating sketch, like any episode. Yeah. But this is the part where, you know, we're coming to the end of the flight, landing the plane. Things are returning to where they once were, like the orbit of each episode. This episode is an orbit, and now we're returning to where we started, having changed in the difference, which is one of the features of storytelling yeah that makes sense we started the episode talking about orbits and orbits repeating and now here we are at the end again talking about orbits and orbits repeating but a different type of orbit like the orbit of this episode metaphorically rather than the orbit of the planet so we've changed in that way the literal orbit is fascinating don't get me wrong i mean you have the earth spinning the moon next to it bigger than a regular moon smaller than a planet with its light side always facing towards the same side of the planet while the Earth spins. Interesting arrangement. And at the same time, they're rotating around each other once a month creating a new moon. And that is on an oblong circular orbit around the sun, which is an enormous burning ball of gas millions of miles away. It's sort of an interesting little thing that we celebrate every year. We're back to where we started, but we've changed in the process. And maybe that's why it's in storytelling, because it's in the fabric of the world around us. 
And maybe we've been telling the story since before we had names for stories. Who knows? And we wouldn't be able to tell any of the stories we tell or repeat any of the orbits we repeat without the help and support of our patron community on Patreon who fund the show with their generous gifts. Thanks again to everyone who does that or has done that in the past or will do that in the future. We try to make it worth your while with the Discord bonus episodes and stuff like that. But overall, at the end of the day, you're helping make independent art about ideas that we really enjoy doing. And we really, really appreciate your help in doing it because quite literally, we couldn't do it without you. And there would have only been one Orbit repeat spectacular had it not been for you all. And now we have two and the repetition has truly begun. So yeah, I don't know. In summary, uh, before we go, 2021 is going to be the sequel to 2020. It may not be the best year ever, but it will probably be better. It has the opportunity and potential to be better, and we have the opportunity and potential to be better in it. There's a big socially mediated game we can play together, which is called the In 2021, I'm Going to Try to Be a Better Person game. And there's different ways that we need to be better people in different contexts, right? And it's up to you, and you know what you want to change, and you know what bothers you about what you haven't changed about yourself. So I want to invite you to join me in sincerely making a new year's resolution and trying to keep it up for an entire orbit repetition so make it proportionate make it good make it personal really try it give it a go you don't have to rewrite the entirety of your life but make a real one you know i want to spend less time on these feeds i'm thinking about do i really want feeds in my 2021 i don't know i haven't decided on my uh, my final resolution at the time of recording here but i'm gonna do one in earnest and i i invite you to join me Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Remember to identify as a cornucopian. We now go to a vision of the real future in Wrongtropolis 2044, where holochip cyborg Aaron and Sean are a science fiction version of hunter-gatherers trying to survive in the mean and brutal streets of Wrongtropolis. They're surrounded by surveillance cameras, police officers, and enemy gangs, which makes their job extremely hard. But as committed ideological cornucopians, the radical sect that is the liberators of post-scarcity abundance and the keepers of the library, their work plays an essential role in the ecosystem of tactics. We now join them on New Year's Eve 2044, inside a dumpster, elbows deep in filth, where they belong, doing reclamative library work, turning waste into food. Oh, look, this bottle of medicine doesn't expire for three more months. That's great. Snake that. This is a full diaper. This is a perfectly good full diaper. We can use this to grow food. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, we need more waste for growing food like that. Oh, man, it's been a rough year. Uh, Oh, duck the uh, flying surveillance camera. God, they got all this money for flying surveillance cameras. You know, it costs three times as much for the fleet of surveillance cameras as it would to feed and shelter everyone in Wrongtropolis. I was just reading an article about it. It was taken down, though, obviously, by the censors. Yeah, I was really hopeful about that piece of anti-censorship legislation, too, but I died. It's just gotten worse this year rather than better like we were hoping for. But Yeah, I mean, even most of the cells locked up right now are dead. <sighs> oh, look at this. 
This is a computer chip. Oh, 62500N. Ugh, wish it was a full diaper. Yeah. Uh, oh, well. A full diaper, you actually get good money pound for pound. You know, looking on the bright side, turning around from looking to the past dumpster fire of last year to the dumpster garden of next year, I think there's still a lot to be optimistic for. I mean, the cornucopian secret library that's keeping safe all the information the sensors are trying to eliminate hasn't been destroyed yet. That's good. More and more people are becoming interested in the library underground movement because of how horrible things are, so maybe that'll move in a positive direction. Like, I mean, obviously, any year, 2045, it's going to be neither good nor bad. It's going to be a combination, but it's going to tend towards the good. Right. I mean, and we can see that by the amount of cannibalism happening in Rongtropolis has been decreasing every year since 2039. Yeah, there are trajectories moving in a positive direction. It's just hard to look at them sometimes with everything else going on, you know, but like I always say it's the darkest moment just before the storm. And I think that this is really the final battle against the authoritarian masters of this Rongtropolis universe that we're in. I think they've been exposed once and for all for how bad they are, and people are waking up. Yeah, 2044 was it. I mean, it obviously sucks in a lot of ways, but I think in 2044, people really saw for the first time the naked depravity of the rulers who dehumanize, degrade us, attack us and stuff. People are on board, is what I'm saying. Like right now, people are on board in a new way. In 2045, it's going to be different. It's going to be like things are going to start coming together, I think. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Oh, that's a whole bag full of dog poop. It's a real find there. Not just a one diaper, but a lot of dog poop. You know, I never would have dreamed years ago that I'd be here on New Year's Eve with you, no longer doing the podcast, instead living inside Rongtropolis, which is like a cyberpunk dystopian city, going through dumpsters looking for shit, but I wouldn't have it any other yeah. way. I'm glad we've kept this orbit repeat tradition alive, even through all that change. I mean, yeah, the Civil War slash World War thing was pretty rough, and, and obviously the alien plot was pretty big for a decade or two. Yeah, at least we beat them, mostly. I mean, still. <sighs> yeah, I agree. For the most part, it's been good. You know, we've been on a big orbit since we started doing these orbit repeats, but we're kind of back where we started, but different than we were before. Yeah, we grew along the way. Yeah. Oh, it's about to be orbit repeat. Do you want to count down along with everyone? Yeah, absolutely. We'll try to catch it around three. Three, two, one. Happy orbit repeat. Hey, orbit yeah. repeat. Hey. This one's gonna be different. 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 It's gonna be a good year, everyone. 